Good evening, world. <clears throat> this is the podcast Asa Fast, and your host is Lord Cattell. Welcome back. Welcome back. Alright, so, yesterday was some interesting um, twists and turns. We visited Vietnam, and we uh, did the briefest of backstories of one Senator, Cory Booker. One-time presidential run. Um, back to 2017, which I think is when this book was written. Actually, let me go find that out real quick. 2018, excuse me. So, he was writing it in 2017, and he copyrighted it in 2018. So, some, you know, recent memory that you can recall, but not, not too really recent, so... <clears throat> We left off yesterday. We had just gotten into chapter five. Um, actually, we a little bit into chapter five, and we started at military strategies, self-help. Went to Vietnam, and the one thing with Senator Cory Booker, we didn't finish the one thing. Is there another one? Or maybe we did? No, we didn't. Okay. <clears throat> so. We left off, oh, right around talking about a passage from the Talmud. And I wanted to go back over it really quick because he put, he had one interpretation of it, but there are many. And I wanted to go back over that real quick. And that was, find that place where there are no men, go there and there strive to be a man. And his, um, well, he had one interpretation of it. Mine is, go someplace where there is no one to look up to, and then be somebody worthy of being looked up to. Just my opinion. So we're going to continue in that today. And before we get any farther, my shout out to the restaurant industry. All my guys and gals out there in Foodland, thank you for all you do, thank you for all you've done, what you're still going through. And if you're feeling stressed out, overwhelmed, and you feel like you can't take it anymore, please don't do something you can't take back. Don't quit. Don't quit. Okay. So following that line, <clears throat> he immediately moves into a suggestion. Scan your life for areas where you have been especially able to solve things for yourself and others. Where you added to the net output of a product, business, or organization where you made a resoundingly well-received point or contributed a concrete improvement to something, where you lightened a load on others or displayed a trait toward which people gravitated. Those are immensely valuable pieces of information. Oh, hold on. Sirens, sorry. Okay. Just wishing to be a math whiz, an athlete, or an astronaut, is insufficient. 
You must have a unity, an integration between your wishes and some vital and developing capacity within yourself, something expressive of a role you can fill in life. There must be a concentration of energies and a development of inner capacities, as well as the deeply felt wish. All right, we touched on that a little, little bit in, uh, I believe it was Manifesting Change, where he was discussing the difference between infinite possibilities and probabilities. Right? Yes, there's all, there's an infinite number of possibilities, but the probability that you're going to get up today, go to your job, you know, all those normal things that you've gotten into the habit of doing, stand a higher chance of happening. And what he's saying here is that to just wish yourself to be a millionaire or to wish yourself to be a famous athlete or a rock star or any of those, it's very ambiguous, right? It's stars in the eyes, ooh, ah, all right? Do you have a definitive plan of getting from where you are to there? Are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Are you willing to learn new skills to get there? Otherwise, there will always be a stars in the eyes looking out over the horizon waiting for your ship to come in moment. So, just wanted to put that in more, I guess, easy to understand terms. Right? There, you have to have... Your, your dreams and your actions have to correspond. Right? You can't just be sitting there and wishing that you were a millionaire... And then, you know, calling in sick every single time that you see something is more interesting at your job at 7-Eleven. Alright, we all know those types of people. They can't hold down a job. They call in all the time for stupid shit. They get caught. They're slacking off when they should be working. Those people will never be millionaires. But you'll always hear, them, oh man, I can't wait till I make my mill. You're never going to get there. Because your actions don't line up with what you say your dreams are. Does that make sense? Alright, the energies that you're putting out, the actions that you're doing, have to... Well, first you have to go out there and act. You have to move towards your dream. Even if it's a small way. But you have to move forward. And you have to have the right mindset. <clears throat> and you have to be motivated. As he's put forth earlier in the book, you have to be maybe just a little bit obsessed. But again, he goes more goal and aim rather than strict manipulating the energies of the universe to manifest something in your life. But we do see parallels, as we've gone over uh, previously, across the entire spectrum so far of all the thought leaders going on right now is that you have to have an end definable goal you have to spend time concentrating on that goal you have to move towards that goal and there's something that psychologically happens within our heads that helps move us towards that goal when we decide on that goal or that end result I should say all right Okay, so continuing on. That was the nature of my path to becoming a writer. I began my writing career as a reporter, 
working an overnight crime beat for the Times Leader, a daily newspaper in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. I hated it. First, I had to put up with the idiotic jokes. Is there any crime in Wilkes Bar? Answer Yes, as I write these words, Wilkes Bar, a part of our nation's former industrial belt, is being ravaged by a heroin epidemic. More privately, I agonized over my decision to join a paper whose owners had several years earlier busted its union. I am pro-labor, but I went there anyway. It was a gutless decision for which I've never fully forgiven myself. And the work of a police reporter didn't suit me. I disliked many of the area cops, as they did me, and I got tired of the suspicious attitude that many of the locals harbored toward outsiders. Although I delivered many outstanding stories, I would count the hours each night until my shift ended. One evening I was chasing a story about a cop accused of rape. I was finding my way around a wall of blue silence, in which police don't discuss a crime committed by one of their own. That night, a city ed editor made the abysmal judgment call of pulling me off that important story in order to cover a local Irish festival. <clears throat> I grumbled over the decision, but trudged off to the festival. Another reporter broke my story. While I was complaining about it in the newsroom the next day, a fellow reporter, a French woman, displaced to Wilkes Bar, this is straight out of a David Lynch movie, confronted me and said that I hadn't really wanted the story. What? I asked. How could you say that? Look, she said, I know that you were pissed off when Linda sent you to cover the Irish festival, but you could have refused. You should have said no. You didn't really want the cop story badly enough. You let it get taken from you. I was flattened by the truth of what she said. I was sick inside. Because I knew she was right. Later that night I returned to my apartment. I went stealthily because, among the other joys of my time there, I was being stalked by a violent street vagrant with a feral pit bull. I had exposed his assaults on other homeless people. Once inside, I locked the door, dropped to the floor, and prayed to God with everything in me that if my colleague told me was true, and I knew it was, to either help me recommit to journalism or give me the resolve to get out of it. I would not hang around my field as a mediocrity. I got out. I took a job in book publishing in New York City, a place I yearned to live. That proved a so-so compromise. I did alright and earned a decent enough living, but I didn't feel like I stood for anything. I wanted to be in front of the camera, literally and figuratively, not just facilitating the work of others. The years piled up, 5, 10, 15, since I left behind writing in Wilkes Bar, a lament rarely heard in American letters. I was restless and dissatisfied. Then in summer of 2003, something unexpected occurred. Two friends, Amanda Pisani and Randall Friesen, were running the positive thinking monthly Science of Mind and had landed a very big get. 
all-star pitcher Barry Zito, then with the Oakland A's, committed to an interview. Barry used positive mind methods in his training, including affirmations, prayers, and visualizations. Inside the rim of his cap, he pasted the mantra, Be still and know. In 2002, the Southpaw had gone from the near bottom of the major leagues to winning more games in a single season than any American League pitcher since 1988. Dude, he told the reporter, that's not a coincidence. Barry's father, Joe, and mother, Roberta, were themselves deeply into mind metaphysics and had infused their son with similar values. He had since become one of the most talked about figures in baseball. My friends at Science of Mind realized this interview was a big opportunity, and they brought it to me as someone they could trust. I vowed not to disappoint them. News features are often written passively, a string of quotes pasted together with a little associated, associative material, and the reporter being led around by whatever the subject wants to say. I approached the story determined to write it my way. As a writer, you must be active and make your own defensible fact-based decisions about the structure of a piece. You must locate a theme, organize the narrative as you decide, and provide transitions and verities so the reader can follow your progression of thought. After interviewing Barry and completing the profile Barry's way, I felt a sense of purpose that had previously eluded me as a writer. As his story came into focus, I discovered my own chief aim, to document metaphysical experience in history and practice. I had framed Barry as an exhibit of positive mind principles, which is exactly what could be gleaned from his career and training if one knew where to look. I have repeatedly had such breaks as a historian and journalist, such as discovering occult literary influences in the speeches of Ronald Reagan, which I have written about in the Washington Post and Salon. This is not just because I just happened upon revealing material, but because I recognized terminology, references, and phrases that are missed by most mainstream historians and journalists who have no background in the esoteric or spiritual. About two weeks after my article appeared in October 2003, I got a phone call, wholly unexpectedly, from Barry's father, Joe, whom I had never met. He loved the story. Mitch, he growled into the phone, you stick with this thing. He meant my writing about metaphysical ideas. Joe had no idea of my struggle and my past. He didn't know me. But he got it. Dead on. He saw what I was after, and his drill sergeant encouragement gave me just the lift I needed. Barry later told me that Joe, who died in 2013, had played that role in several people's lives. I experienced the renewal of my wish to be a writer but on terms that far better suited my interests and temperament. I felt a sense of mission and purpose, and I acted on it. 
About three years from the day I heard from Joe Zito, I had a contract from Bantam for my first book, Occult America, which won a 2010 Penn Oakland Literary Award. The New York Times called it the Blue Collar Pen. Received widespread and widespread and positive reviews, got endorsements from figures as diffuse as Ken Burns and Deepak Chopra, and resulted in my appearances on CBS Sunday Morning, Dateline NBC, NPR's All Things Considered, among other national shows. In the years ahead, my writing on alternative spiritual topics ran in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and many other national publications. I had left a regional newspaper with my head down at age 22. By my 40s, I was seriously and unexpectedly back in the game. The road was gradual but perceptible, helped at a sudden moment by an opportunity for which I was prepared. We're often told that you should never give up on your dreams, and I agree with that. But at the same time, your dreams must not be idle or fantastical, and they must employ powers that are within your reach. Resilience is an act. The constituent elements of a thing must be in place and in action before its realization. Alright, hold on a second. So, just a bit of a recap before we go any further. So, I didn't want to interrupt it too much because this is um, Mitch's own story of what happened, similar to when we were going over uh, Mr. Dooley's personal recount of when he started at PricewaterhouseCooper and what happened after he started there. This was much more in-depth. Um, I'm glad he included it. So, just to give you an idea of just the type of crisscrosses that you can take. And remember he mentioned yesterday's... Yes, yesterday's podcast. Um, he had absolutely no inclination when he started down his path of writing, journalism, and what have you. He started off wanting to cover histor his history and military and politics and that kind of thing. And then he kind of lost out on that. Realized he hated this particular part of it. And then just kind of meandered his way down. Obviously, uh, throwing himself on the mercy of God. Like, please, you know, one or the other. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be mediocre at something I hate. Either I'm going to be good at, great at this or I'm gonna leave it. Either give me the reassurance to recommit or give me the confidence and the courage to get out of it and go find something else. So I just find it interesting how people get from where they start to where they finally find a sense of, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I was supposed to be going. And I wanted to point out that timeline right there. 15 years. Okay. Fifteen years and he didn't give up on his dream. He just changed slightly what the dream ended up being. 
he knew kind of where like so let's go back to mr dewey's probabilities versus possibilities okay he stayed within writing publishing and what have you all right though that's his probabilities possibilities would have been if you went from writing to let's say greenpeace and then uh, political figurehead that would have been an interesting turnaround but this stayed within the same probability factor right he stayed as an author he just switched it from well I'm assuming he stayed within the publishing field so he went from doing articles chasing cop stories and, and crime and whatnot in this little town getting a feel for writing a feel for the journalistic process and whatnot then he went into publishing and editing and then he started going back and being you know in writing again doing interview again and found that he really liked it all right but he makes it a point to say 15 years okay Um, so that's interesting, and I like that he took, he included his, um, experience with, um, Zito, where was that name? Barry Zito? And his dad, Joe. That's awesome. Right? It was the inspirational lift he got from doing that interview and the subsequent article that gave him the confidence to go write the book that he probably had the information on the whole time he just didn't act on it and that was to go write occult america so you know you never know quite where it's going to take you all right so let's go back over. let's go going moving forward sorry Here's another example of positive mind mechanics from the sports world. It reinforces the importance of writing down a goal. Sports Illustrated named Cornell University wrestling champion Kyle Dake. Yep, Daki? Dake? Not sure. As its college athlete of the year in 2013. The Collegian told a reporter how he built his career on arduous training and new thought methods. He didn't use that term, but few do. For three and a half years, the wrestler filled a red-covered spiral notebook with 2,978 affirmations, written at night and in the morning, affirming his desired weight class victories during the course of four wrestling seasons. Sports Illustrated put it this way. Once in the morning and once at night, as freshman Dake wrote, 2010, 141-pound DI NCAA National Champion. Twice in the morning and twice at night as a sophomore, he wrote. 2011, 149-pound DI National Champion. Thrice in the morning and thrice at night as a junior, he wrote. 2012, 157-pound DI National Champion and four times in the morning and four times at night as a senior he wrote 2013 165 pound di national champion 
On March 23, 2013, Kyle Dake made history as the first college wrestler to win an NCAA title in four different weight classes. So, going back over that little example right there, I want you to take note. He started off at 141 pounds, then he grew to 149, so that's a gain of 8 pounds. He then went from 149 to 157. That's another gain of 8 pounds. Okay. And then he went from 157 to 165. Ironically, that's another gain of 8 pounds. So, over the four years he went to college, he increased his weight by 8 pounds over the four years, right? He started off at 141 and ended at 165. And because he gained 8 pounds per year, I'm assuming muscle, um, because he was wrestling, he was able to get a championship in every single weight class. That's impressive. Athletics provide a useful window on new thought because not only do many Olympians, collegians, and pros use visualizations and affirmations, this is true for dozens with whom I've spoken, the US Olympic swim team has employed its own visualization coach. But the results are chartable. My younger son's gymnastics coach requires team members to carry a notebook with them and write down a goal for each day's practice. And of course, myriad factors, including natural talent and ceaseless training, must be present. So we're going to stop off there today because we've come to a little bit. Uh, the next little subchapter within the chapter is what about money? So that's an interesting... And obviously, that's that takes some discipline right there. So he started off in his first year, he'd write it once in the morning and once at night. And then for every single year, he added more times he would do it. And by the time he was done, he had a, his notebook was filled with 2,978 affirmations. That's dedication right there. That is absolutely obsessed determination and dedication. Congratulations to Mr. Kyle Dake. You earned it, sir. So just give that actually gives you a really good idea, right? Of ways you can mold this to your own style. Okay, everybody already manifests. We've gone over this, right? The law of attraction doesn't stop. You don't just uh, decide that the law, of, the law of gravity is going to work at this particular time. Same thing with the law of attraction. It's work, working whether or not you're um, aware that it's working or not. And so when you're learning to control how to work it, basically, make it more work in your favor rather than just letting default it runs around all... Um, all crazy on you is figuring out what works for you and what doesn't and we went over that a couple podcasts ago where he was discussing hold on ah sirens okay where was I oh. hold on a second okay that's where I was um 
All right, everyone has their different things that work for them. And we went over this earlier in the book of um, some examples of that, right? There's a large argument within the, as he puts it, new thought movement of um, the differences in affirmations. There's a camp that says that you should put them all in I am. And there's another camp that says I will works just as well. Although the argument is put forth that putting it in terms of I will get this done puts it continuously in the future so you're never going to approach it. So there's disagreements there. And we went over an example of uh, the first... Oh... Black science fiction writer? You can go back and... um, um, Go back over the podcast. It's, It's back there somewhere. Anyways, he used her example of a journal entry that he found, and she used both. I am this... I will do this. It's the way it makes you feel inside. It is the trigger that gets your emotional juices going. Whatever that sounds like. Alright. You've got to figure out what works for you. And that does require a little trial and error. Okay. Doesn't mean you give up though. Alright. So, some interesting stuff to ponder. Some interesting stuff to ponder. Sorry, my allergies are just killing me. Okay. So, let's get our two-minute brain break and go ahead and do a little wiggle and get a little stretch. And we'll do our two-minute brain break. Hopefully, before I have to sneeze again. Alrighty. Go ahead and close your eyes. And let's take a nice, slow, deep breath in. And let him back out. And let's take another nice, slow, deep breath in. you can, I'd like you to bring to mind a memory that makes you smile. Anyone, any age, any place, any time. Something that makes you smile. you can. 
and just let that smile warm up everything. All the way up your head, all the way down your arms, your neck, your shoulders, your back, your tummy, your chest. Just let it spread all over. The warmth the smile brings. Sorry if that went a little odd right after we started our two-minute brain break. Another siren went by and I had to pause it. My apologies. Goodness, I hope everyone's okay out there. That's three different sirens in under 30 minutes. Yikes. So. Interesting things to ponder. And an indication on how you should approach discovering your own personal exercises that work for you. Right? You can write it as many times as you want. You can write it as few times as you want. You can visualize... Well, I wouldn't advise... Still would not advise visualizing too much. Otherwise, you're, again, you're spending too much time in dreamland. Not enough time in reality, letting it um, reality become the dream, so to speak. But figuring out what works for you. What feels right for you? What feels powerful for you? What evokes the proper internal response for you? Some things to ponder as you um, close out for the night. So, we will come back tomorrow at What About Money? Everyone's question. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for your patience and for your participation. Have a fantastic rest of your evening. This is the podcast Sassafras. Good night.